You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Well, go ahead and grab your Bible and join me in Romans. Uh, we'll just say join me in Romans because we're going to be all over the place. Romans chapter 2 uh, is where we're going to start out in there. Um, I, again, you know, we, we all come from uh, varying different church experiences and backgrounds, right? That's the, the story of Galena Bible Church being that we're, um, you know, such a diverse congregation, come from different places and different church backgrounds. Some of you didn't grow up in church. Some of you did grow up. I mean, you've never not known being in church and come from all kind of different denominations and things like that. Um, but there is a probably pretty good chance that even if you did not grow up in church, Um, you probably have a perception of when I say uh, legalistic Christians, you probably have a pretty good picture of what that looks like. Um, and you might have grown up in a church that had that kind of a you know attention that was there. The uh, you know my brother and I joked that the kind of church that we grew up in um, was a church that preached against premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. Uh, you know, jokingly aside, uh, there was a, a history um, within Western evangelical um, Protestant movements um, towards legalism, and it, it started with a, a very good emphasis, a good, uh, I guess, moral compass, if you will, uh, called what was called the holiness movement, and it was the, the dynamic that said that we desire as Christians not only to just live in grace, but to be holy, to live holy lives, to live lives that were exemplary, uh, and in that way, then it began to embrace uh, this uh, separatist nature of what it is for us as Christians to be holy, so you had the sacred versus the secular, and this idea of looking different, dressing different, listening to different music, uh, not watching movies, not doing uh, these kind of things, and uh, there became this movement that uh, persisted in the, we became known as people for what we didn't do, rather than what we were about and what we did. And again, all of that I just described there uh, was uh, probably not new to anybody. Again, whether you were in church or out of church, we knew this uh, perception of, you know, uh, the idea of, yeah, if you smoke a cigarette, you're going straight to hell, right? Like that was, the, that was kind of the, the picture of legalistic Christianity. And in the midst of all of that, of course, there was uh, the cultural element where those things came into the culture. And so we had, you know, things like prayer in public school, and we had things like the Ten Commandments posted on. Um, uh, courthouses and things like that and then people began to react of course when prayer was pulled out of school and then there's been this fight over the last uh, two or three decades to remove the Ten Commandments from uh, places of law and that kind of thing and this push against that because man we got to know the Ten Commandments and we got to do those kind of things and of course my pushback on many types of those things for us as evangelicals to ask the question do you know what the sixth commandment is? Just off the top of your head, anybody know what the sixth commandment is? How about the third one? Anybody know what the third one is? No? Seventh? Anybody got the seventh commandment? Come on now, the ninth? Anybody got the ninth? No. But by golly, we got to have the Ten Commandments, right? Because we got to have them. And yet, like we're saying, this is the fundamental nature of, of moral principle, right? 
But then we don't have a clue what they are. And this is this is not this is not just picking on Galena Bible Church. This is like normal across Protestant Christianity. So this morning we're looking at redemptive history, how it flows across the whole landscape, God's story and us in God's story, and the giving of the law is what we're going to look at. We've looked at the last two weeks, we looked at Adam and that we looked at the fact that in Adam all sinned, that his uh, sinfulness was imparted to us um, by nature of our humanity uh, and Christ's redemptive work to be a second Adam, to change that. Last week we took a look at um, God giving of His covenants to Abraham and that God is a covenant keeper and that God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves and He will do it on our behalf and accomplish His purposes even if we cannot do it. And today we want to take a look at the, uh, the giving of the law. And as I think about the law, of course, the law, as we think about the Old Testament, is summed up in the Ten Commandments. So we're going to have a kid's Sunday school lesson uh, really briefly to help you be able to answer the question. Next time a pastor gets up and says, what's the third commandment? You'll be able to do it. So I want everybody to take, you can set your Bible down, your phone down, or whatever. you got ten fingers Unless you don't, which I apologize for that. But if you if you got ten, if you got ten, I didn't even think about that as a as a joke in that point. Uh, you got you got ten fingers, and there's ten commandments. So we're going to learn the ten commandments using your ten fingers. All right. The first commandment, by pick up one finger. There is one God, and you shall have no other gods. One God, you shall have no other gods. That's commandment number one. Commandment number two. Got two fingers. Commandment number two. You shall not make nor bow down to any false idols. Okay? Everybody, you're going to have to teach this at some point in time. Somebody's going to get things. You shall not make or bow down to any false gods or false idols. That's commandment number two. Alright? Commandment number three. Commandment number three looks like a W. You shall not Speak the name of the Lord in vain. We watch our words. I know it's water, but yeah, watch it. Speak yeah, speak is forefinger. Yeah. yeah, but we watch our words. Do not speak the name of the Lord in vain. Commandment number three. Commandment number four. Commandment number four is keep the Sabbath day holy. So you stop and you rest. Look, my thumb's taking a nap. Alright? So stop and keep the Sabbath day holy. Commandment number four. Commandment number five. Commandment number five is you shall honor your father and your mother. Right? Am I getting that right? Father is a sign language for father and mother. Commandment number five. You shall honor your father and mother. Commandment number uh, six. Commandment number six is you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit murder. So don't shoot them. You shall not commit murder. Okay? Just so you know, the sign for kill is this. Oh, there you go. So there it is. Shall not kill. Commandment number six. Do not commit murder. Alright? Commandment number seven. Commandment number seven is do not commit adultery. Because there are two people in a marriage and not five. <laughs> Commandment number seven 
<laughs> you shall not commit adultery because there are two people in a marriage, not five. Okay? Commandment number eight. Commandment number eight is you shall not steal because if you steal, you go to jail. So, so actually, just so you know, that's... Oh, well, there you go. Man, that's all the sign language. we got all the sign language stuff going on here. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal because if you do, you're going to jail. Commandment number nine. Commandment number nine is you shall not bear false witness or you shall not lie because four is not five. Okay? You shall not bear false witness because four is not five. That's commandment number five. And commandment number ten is you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. You shall not covet your neighbor's snow machine or his wood pile uh, or any of those other things. You shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. That's the Ten Commandments, right? And those are as basic as they come, right? Like that's, that's the fundamentals of what it means for us to understand the law. God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses in Exodus chapter 20 is where we are recorded for those. Moses has taken the nation of Israel that had been in slavery for hundreds of years under Egypt and he's brought them out of Egypt through uh, the Red Sea. They've wandered in the wilderness. They've come to Mount Sinai. They have this experience of God where they're there. The, the smoke of God lands upon the, uh, uh, lands upon the, uh, the mountain uh, and... Moses goes up and he hears the voice of God like thunder and there comes the commandments of God to them and he lays them out. This is Exodus and he unpacks those things. But then we have more than just that, right? We've got Exodus and we've got Leviticus and we've got Numbers and we've got Deuteronomy. And we ask the question, why? Why do we have all of this stuff? Well, of course, if you read through all of those, you realize that there's a lot more that God has to say than those ten statement commandments, right? There's a lot more that is in there. And it clusters up into three kind of categories. And this is where today, when we have conversations with people and they try to bash the Bible or say, you know, the Bible is irrelevant or those kind of things, and they get into the weeds on Old Testament law, this is where they get into that. The first category would be known as kosher law or hygiene law. These are the passages of Scripture that are things like uh, to make sure that you wash your hands, to make sure that uh, you know if you're dealing with a dead body that you don't, uh, you're not interacting with the, the holy principles of God, the things that you eat, the way in which you wash, all of these cleanliness, holiness, uh, kosher laws as they related to the nation of Israel and their response of what they were to wear, how they were to wash, what they were to eat that was to make them ceremonially and physically pure and clean. It's uh, an interesting thing. Um, when you look back through history, uh, the, the Jewish people, anti-Semitism has been throughout uh, history for you know, the last 2,000 years. And uh, one of the points at which it had a, a blip of, um, you know, obviously uh, World War II was a bad point for, for Jewish people. But the Black Plague 
uh, the plague was actually another time where there was a blip of it was not good to be a Jew. And the reason for that was there was a lot less Jews that were dying from the Black Death than other people. And so people thought that they must be witches or they must have something else. And the simple truth of it was they washed. And they weren't dying from the plague. These kosher laws uh, that were uh, put in place uh, in the law of God, in Numbers and Leviticus and these kind of things, were laid out for the people of Israel that they would physically, in their appearance, uh, in their cleanliness, would stand out from all other peoples of the world. It was to be a command to God that there was something about them that was intended to visibly look pure to the outside world looking in. The second category of law that was in there was the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law was everything related to the worship of God. This was all of the sacrificial system. This was all of the, um, the festivals that were in place. This is all of these things that were very specifically laid out. This is how you worship. This is how you sacrifice. This is what the priest is supposed to say. This is what they're supposed to do. This is how these things are all to be carried out. All of these things were laid out for them in a way that they didn't have to figure anything out. God told them exactly, this is how I want you to worship me. This is how I want you to come to me when you have sinned and to find reconciliation. This is how you are to make the offering. This is how you are to build the temple. This is how your priest is to dress. These are all of these ceremonial things that were around the the system of how the Jewish people were to worship God and how God required Him to worship them. And then the third category of of law was what was classified or what we would classify as the moral law. And these are those simple things of this is this is you don't kill people and this is what that means and this is how that plays out and uh, you don't commit adultery and you don't lie and this is and your judges don't do it and your king doesn't do it and all of those basically unpacking the 10 commandments and the the moral principles of how those things were and all of those things constitute what the Bible referred to as the law. In fact, it was considered to be a, 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 its own category within Scripture. In the Jewish Bible, the, the Jewish Bible was divided into three sections. The first section was the law, sometimes just called the books of Moses, but it was called the law. The second part was the prophets, and then the third were the books of wisdom, or which like Psalms, Proverbs, those kind of books that were there. And so those whole categories, that was all of the law that they laid out to them. And of course, as we read throughout Scripture and we read the story and we hear about what they did and how all of these things played out, the law weighs heavily upon the people of Israel. They are called out by God because they have not followed His law. Uh, There's individuals and different stories of people being called out because they have not followed the law. And then of course we get to the New Testament and we have this caricature group of Pharisees who love the law so much that they added to it. In other words, they say we've, we, you know, we know what the Bible has to say about this, so we're going to draw this really wide perimeter around these each of these things, and we're going to make those things uh, to be barriers, if you will. If you're going to keep the Sabbath day holy, we're going to say that means you do absolutely no work on that. Well, what exactly is work? Well, carrying more weight than two dried figs. That's the classification of work, and so you can't do that. And all of these things on there because they wanted to keep the law. 
And we, of course, look at these things and we go, man, it seems so daunting. It seems so uh, uh, weighty and it seems so impossible. But here's the interesting thing about the law as you think about it. Three categories, kosher law, the cleanliness law, the ceremonial law, the way in which worship was to take place, and the moral law. In kosher law and ceremonial law, those can be perfectly kept. You can actually keep those laws. You can make sure that you never eat shellfish. You can make sure that all of your clothes are woven from one type of fabric, not woven out of two. You can make sure that uh, when you sin, then you do the sacrifice, that you do it the exact way that it is prescribed there. You can follow the, or follow the, um, uh, the festivals. You can do all of these things. They, that part of the law is completely keepable. And the reason it became confusing is that there were many Jewish people that thought that since those were keepable, that the moral law also was. That they could say like the rich young ruler, all of these I have kept since my youth. But Jesus stepped in as a point to say, you can't. And I'll show you. You have heard that it was said, Do not commit murder. But I say to you, if anyone has hated his brother in his heart, he has already committed murder. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who has looked on a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. And on and on and on it goes. The reality of the law is that it weighed so heavily upon the lives of people and they thought that their righteousness, they thought that their goodness, they thought that their covenant keeping, remember Abraham's covenant to them, they thought that that was what it looked like to be righteous, was to be in good legal standing with God. But the redemptive story of God looked very different than that. Take a look with me in Romans chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to be reading a lot of Scripture, so just follow me along with it, okay? Romans chapter 2, verse 12, begins and says this. It says, For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, or non-Jews, people are born outside of the covenant community of God, not born of Abraham, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves." And that they show that the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternatively accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. What Paul is telling us here uh, is he's laying out this full picture of the law. And we... Not being born Jews, I don't think we have anybody here that was born Jewish, born ethnically Jewish. We are born outside of that covenant community. And yet, 
though we never hear the law of Moses, though we never hear any of those kind of things, we know that murder is wrong because we don't want to be murdered. And we know that uh, stealing is wrong because we don't want anybody to steal from us. And so there is something about this moral law that is written upon the hearts of mankind that is distinct. And he ultimately says here that those who have sinned without the law, they'll perish without the law. And those who have sinned under the law, knowing what those things are, they will be judged by it. And there's coming a day where it doesn't matter whether you were born knowing this information or not knowing this information, you'll be judged by Christ according to the secrets of your own heart. There is no action, there is no word, there is no thought, there is nothing that we do that sneaks into eternity and nobody ever notices it could be a very, very scary thing to think about. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21, says this, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, a a payment in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the, or, or is God, the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one God. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So what is he saying here? Well, Jesus, uh, Paul is unpacking the reality that uh, everybody, regardless of what camp they came from, regardless of what ethnicity they were born into, regardless of what place and point in time in history, all have to give an account before God equally. And we ask the question, well, how is that fair? How is it fair that Jesus comes uh, 2,000 years ago from now, uh, 2,000 years previous from now, what about all of those people that were you know, from Moses up into His point? And then beyond that, what about the people before Moses? There wasn't even a law that was there. The, the, the commands of God had not been laid out. All of those kind of things. How is God just... And justifying them. That's the question. And he says, God in His forbearance, 
When he, uh, God, when He displayed publicly as a payment for sin, a propitiation in the blood of Jesus through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, in, his, uh, in, the, in the sense in which God cared so much about His people, He passed over sins previously committed. It's an interesting thing to think about God who is perfectly just, and allowing sin to not be ultimately punished. Because the reality of all of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, all of the laws about how you killed the lamb, and how you killed the goat, and how you killed the dove, and how you did the grain offering, and the oil offering, and all of those kind of things, those things could not atone for man's sin. All of them pointed forward to the perfect lamb who could and would perfectly atone for our rebellion, for our sin. And he says, ultimately, in this, even if we looked at those things, the ceremonial law, the practice of that kind of stuff, and we said, I've done all of that, he's saying, is that our boasting and our ability that we figured it out? Even when we talk about the concept of faith, sometimes we can talk about faith in legalistic terms. We can talk about faith as though faith is a work that we have done that earns God's favor. Well, I have faith. I've got faith. As if faith was itself was not a merciful gift from God. That God awoke our dead heart to see His goodness, to see His love, to see His mercy. It's like the person that's laying dead on the ground and the person is working, trying to do CPR on them and all of a sudden their heart starts beating again and they take a breath. And how foolish would it be for them to go, did you just see that? How awesome I am? I just took a breath. Right? And everybody's going like, are you kidding me? Do you know what they just did to bring you to the place where you even had the ability to do it? We can't take faith as this picture even of it itself being a work that we can boast in. He says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Hard stop. And he says, by what kind of law? By a law of works? Friends, there is nothing that when we stand before God and He counts us as righteous, there is nothing of ourselves that we'll be able to go, yeah, I did that. Isn't that awesome of me? That I was so attuned? That I got it? That I had the mental wherewithal to figure this out? Ultimately, everything that he's laying out here of this law of works is saying there's no boasting in it. He says, of course not. Not by works, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He goes in uh, to chapter 4 and, uh, and outlines the understanding of what it is that Abraham did in his walk of faith. But in chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt and hope of the glory of God. I don't know if you see what we're doing here. We're grabbing at this string that's in uh, Paul's teaching on the, the subject of law and we're pulling on it. And we're pulling out this principle, this truth of him saying, listen, the law existed for the purpose of showing us just how much we needed to have faith in Christ, in the goodness of God, in His faithfulness, in His redemptive work. He says elsewhere, describing of it, that the law was like a schoolmaster teaching us what we did not know. Instructing us. He says elsewhere, he says, uh, I didn't know what covetousness was until I read, Thou shalt not covet. And then I looked at my life and I saw nothing but. Right? And of course, we all know this, right? You ever, you're in town and somebody says, Hey, did you hear about that new car that Toyota came out with? It looks like this. And, and it's, you know, it's yellow and it's all this kind of stuff. And you're like, No, I've never seen one before. And then as you're driving around town, that's the only, that's like everybody has one. That's the only vehicle that's on the road now, right? That's what the law does for us. It awakens our heart to realize, Oh my goodness, I didn't realize just how broken I was. The law was never intended for us to be able to boast in our own perceived ability to be able to accomplish it. We end up walking in arrogance in it. And if we think we're alone in the reality of that, as as we step into that, there's this sense of almost hopelessness, even for us as Christians, as we walk into looking at the law and studying what it is that Scriptures say and what it is to say about the human condition and what it is about it as our heart. And we're going like, man, I've been a believer for how many years and I'm still struggling with this sin. I'm, I'm still struggling with pride. I'm still, uh, I'm still not doing the things that I know that I'm supposed to do. I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm not uh, you know, intent on discipling my neighbor. I've got all of these things and I'm wrestling with all of this kind of stuff and Man, is it even, you know, is, is God doing anything? Is there anything good that's happening in my heart? Is there anything hopeful that is happening in my heart? Maybe that's just me occasionally, but I would dare venture that's a lot of Christians' lives as you walk throughout life. The more and more you look into the things that God reveals to your heart, the more and more you realize just how much we don't match up, we don't meet the standard of God. Now this is what Roman this is what Paul did in Romans chapter 7 verse 14 he begins with this he says for we know that the law is spiritual but I am of flesh sold in the bondage of sin for what I am doing I do not understand for I am not practicing what I would like to do but I am doing the very things that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I want to do, I do not do it. But I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. 
This is Paul saying this, guys. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And this has been the heart of every faithful Jew looking at the law, struggling and striving in it. And what I've found, friends, is that there's a lot of people in Protestant and evangelical circles that are walking in the same sense of condemnation. Because the standard set forward of them is to be righteous, you must be perfect. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. And then we have what I could argue is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Friends, what that tells us is that in Jesus Christ, every rebellious act that we have done that has broken God's law, broken God's heart, in Jesus, we are no longer punished for. And friends, if God does not punish you, for the sin that He has forgiven. How dare you try to punish yourself? Reckoning God's goodness and faithfulness as something secondary to your own effort. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as of an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When God gave the law, the Bible tells us over and over and over, God gave us something good. But it wasn't good in the sense that we could follow it and attain righteousness. It was good the same way that a 
cancer diagnosis from a physician to a dying patient gives them that, that diagnosis and says, this is the truth of what is going on in your body and here's the antidote for it. That's what the law was. It was a diagnosis of the truth that in Adam all sinned. That every inclination of man's heart all the time was bent towards sin. We looked for new ways to sin. We create them all the time. It's an astounding thing to study war because you find out just how man can figure out new ways to be cruel. Why? Because in Adam all sinned. So friends, regardless of what background you grew up in, regardless of whether you grew up as a pagan, not following God, you never set foot in a church, if you, you may grew up in such a way that you thought if you stepped foot in the church it was going to fall down on top of you. Or maybe you grew up in church all the time. And even in that, there came this condemnation of, I'm not good enough. Hear the truth of Scripture. Hear the truth of the power of the law. There is therefore now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. His law, bought, paid for by His blood, making God perfectly righteous in dealing with man's sin, has set you free from the law of sin and death that held sway over your life. Now then, what comes to our obedience, our holiness, our walking in obedience to the law? Because it's not like we come to Jesus and we're like, cool, now I can kill people. Right? No, no, no. It's us acknowledging again just the truth of what God is and realizing that even if I can't fulfill it, Christ did. And so He is our joy. He is our hope. He is our refuge. He is who our faith rests upon. Never and not once in ourselves. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are so incredibly thankful that You gave us these truths truth of your law because we we didn't know how much we needed you. God, there's so many of us in here that our testimony is that we were living a life in such a way that all of a sudden when the light came on, we didn't even know that there was anything broken in how we were living. And yet your law came in and flooded our hearts and we realized that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And so this morning, God, we are so Incredibly thankful for Jesus that You have awoken in us this reality of Your faithfulness to atone for our sin. God, there are definitely days where we are judging and condemning ourselves, where we are seeing ourselves as wretched man that I am. But it's only a few verses later that You say of us, no, we are more than conquerors through this Jesus who loved us and gave His life for us. 
Help us to live that kind of truth. Lord, if there's some here today that have never by faith trusted You, they've rested in their own effort, their own understanding. Lord, help them to repent of that and to by faith trust You. Holy Spirit, would You invade their heart and mind and soul, transform them from the inside out. Let them live no longer as people of darkness, but people that are walking in the light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, also give us eyes to see those that we are in relationship with that they're good people by a world standard. But Lord, we're not going to be judged by this world standard. So help us to share the hope of Christ with people that desperately need to hear it. We love you so much, Jesus. We pray all of this in the sweet and precious name. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.